Welcome to the Legendarium Green Team Podcast, a spin-off of the Legendarium Podcast. With me today is Chesky. Heyo. And Kipton. Heyo. I am Era. Today we are reviewing Yendi, book two of the Dragoon Cycle by Stephen Brust. Before we get into the book itself, I want to situate our listeners. This series is 40 years old and still ongoing. Yet, Yendi was written in 1984. Kip has volunteered to provide a time capsule of 1984. So what do you have, Kip? For 1984, I'm just going to bring up the Hugo and Nebula Awards. I, f- I figure that's a, that's a pretty nice proxy, and I'm going to just list off a couple authors who are getting recognized at the time. First off, Connie Willis, all over the place. Ooh. She, she, that, that she wrote the Doomsday? She's the got Doomsday? like four yeah. nominees in this year, and uh, to either side, she's got an additional like seven. So she's doing great. Wow, yeah. Uh, Neuromancer won the n- novel for uh, Nebula, and uh, Larry Niven was also up for uh, Larry Niven was also up for an award, as was Kim Stanley Robinson. Heinlein was still writing in this time period, uh, but the of course the Hugo Award for 1984 went to Star Tide Rising by Yay! David Brin. <laughs> 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 yeah. Isaac Asimov, Robots of the Dawn, Lost Out, Moretta, Dragon Lady of Pern by Anne McCaffrey, and Andre Norton was named Grandmaster of Science Fiction. Wow. That's pretty fun. Yeah. It is kind of weird how, like, you know, books that people either consider legendary or authors people consider to be, like, ultra famous were just starting back then, right? Yep. And Foundation's Edge was yeah. just coming out. Book of the New Sun was coming out. Lots of fun stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. You guys ready to get started? Yep. I'm ready. Okay, a quick recap. This story is set before Jurek. We find Vlad Taltos in Season 2, Episode 4 of The Sopranos, where Tony, I mean Toronin, promotes Vlad to be a boss of a territory. We get a dang-to-life glimpse of being a gangster in an elephant empire. As that goes on, another mob boss decides to muscle in on Vlad's territory. A mob fight ensues. Vlad gets some indirect help from his friends and more direct help from his group of enforcers, including people like Smiley, Stick, Sleeping, Glowbug. And only one of those names isn't in the book. After several unsuccessful and one successful attempt on his life, Vlad gets better, falls in love with Cotty, the person who killed him, discovered that he was targeted as, a, as part of a convoluted plot to get an empire to attack the human empire. In the end, nothing much changes except Vlad kills other mob boss and finds the love of his life. So yeah. what would you we- guys give... And we get a Go little ahead. bit more insight into some characters from the first book. Well, we get more insights to all characters. Yes. So before we get started into talking about the book itself, overall, what would you guys give uh, Yendi as a five-star rating? I'll start with, huh, I'll start with Kip first. I'll save oh, no. Sunshine for last. So, <laughs> um, Three and a half. It's got one big flaw, in my opinion, that is central to its core theme. And therefore, I can't forgive it. But I think it's fairly tolerably written and an interesting little mob boss log entry for parts of it. And, and then and then the finale, not entirely sold how satisfying that was. <laughs> okay. Chesky? I think, well, I, first I want to say that I, I feel slightly lied to about this book. Uh, but we'll get into that a little later. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Like it's fine. <laughs> I, I still give this book a probably a four point two five. I was laughing out loud just throughout the beginning of it, and just the silliness of what's going on, and just their reactions and the way he's dealing with everything. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was really fun, and I liked it. And there was a lot of uh, Easter eggs that I was finding, and just being like, "Oh, that's funny." Like I think that's this is from this. You know, who knows if it is or not? But uh, yeah, it was good. If I was just reading the unreliable narrator, it would be like a 4.5. <laughs> but no. <Yeah. laughs> so I'm going to rate this one. It was To me, it was better than the first book, Jarek. Um, I'm going to rate it a 4. And you can either look at the one fatal flaw, which is going to be may, may or may not be a recurring theme in these books, Kip, um, as a feature <laughs> or a bug. So... <laughs> I do I do remember being warned by you about this, but it was a very inconclusive warning. <laughs> I, all I can say is I try to be honest with my friends, so, you know. Um, I was just glad there wasn't, like, a two-page paragraph of info dumping about genetics and history. <laughs> it, that I was, was waiting for time, it. it? Yeah. I, I will say that one of my favorite quotes ever about fantasy um, is, Fantasy generally is found in this book, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute, okay? Um, but and this may be our, our way to kind of talk about the book generally. But um, before I talk on and on about the book, I think it might be worthwhile because you know both you guys are 21st century uh, readers, and this book is written in 1984. And like, how did this book just like style wise hit you? Did it feel dated? Were there Parts of it that were dated, parts that weren't. Did it just fit in seamlessly with your reading experience? Um, I guess I'll start with Chesky first, and then Kip, you can tell me all the ways that this is um, totally misogynistic <laughs> and, and awful. So I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely tell you one of the ways it's dated. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, as a 21st century reader, I did not feel like it was too dated. I still felt like he managed to write kind of to people instead of to his time. I'm sure there's parts of it in there, but I thought it was really, it was good. It was interesting. He kept my engagement and it didn't feel like it was, it didn't feel like I didn't get the out of date feeling that I get sometimes when I'm reading other books where it's like, okay, well that's clearly wrong. This was clearly wrong. I mean, I did like that he made the, uh, he made the joke, you know, talking about everything his father did and Things that had happened like in the past that led up to his father buying his title. He's like, also, I could check the time without having to wear a watch or something. And it was <laughs> yeah. just like, that's hilarious. Like, you know, that that's what you get out of this. Is uh... So, I mean, it just, it, it flowed well, I thought. And wasn't, yeah, no issues with it on my end. Well, then, Kip, the floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to continue uh, saying that the whole system of psionics in general, that like little blocked off section it feels very 1980s. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the idea that there were discrete telepathic abilities that uh, large portions of the population either had or could learn to control, uh, that's very 1980s metallic psionics as, as this like pseudoscientific branch of telepathy that got really popular and telekinesis, but we don't really see that as much. You know, it's interesting because... Um... So they have a whole house. The house is called Hawk, who's dedicated to psionics. And um, you actually get, for what it's worth, for better or worse, um, you're going to get a whole, like, you know, uh, story dedicated to psionics and yeah, and all of that. So 
We yeah, got I don't a clairvoyant in this one, but we didn't uh we didn't really get much time with them before they died. <laughs> that that is true. Um I'll say that one of the things that um I don't want I'll call it forward thinking because it wasn't common at the time, but and and Chesky touched on it. Uh you know when and this this kind of segues into my next question. Here the author treats magic as technology almost, right? Where Yeah. The magic is so commonplace that, you know, you use it to, as, as the book describes it, well, all I get out of it is I can check the time or I can stop from getting wet when, when it rains. So it's used as, 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 a, as a vehicle for, uh, to replace technology instead of this super mysterious unknown force. So, you know. And it's uh, also just like a, a, a financial cost yeah. uh, that, you have, that you have to pay. Uh, like they're going to attack with sorcerers, so you have to pay for sorcery blockers. And you got to pay X amount to offset Y amount of offensive tasks. And, and it's just like, okay, who can pay more? Yeah, I mean, and and if you think about it, that that's a little bit of it is uh, kind of true to form to you know to a modern society. Yep. There's some things you can get, but otherwise you're gonna have to go buy. You have to go buy your technology to to be able to use it, right? Yeah, you got to go to service market. You'd be like, right, you got exactly. to hire a wizard to do your marketing. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, and actually, so like you're, so, so you're my go-to guy on this, Kip. So I'm curious um, to what you think. So you're like, whenever I think of people who like are into I, hard magic. I think right? that I, ha I don't have enough information yet, but everything mm -hmm. so far has been highly self-consistent. Okay. Well, so yeah, let, let me, let me kind of lay the ground because. I think it's worthwhile for maybe to give a little bit of an explanation, but I'm very like, curious about Zur Mountain and what is underneath yeah. it. Well, how are you dealing with th this rules magic system? Because he's not giving it to you no. really kind of at all, except in bits and pieces. And you can see that they can do pretty incredible things like hold a castle in the sky, raise people from the dead. Like it's nothing. Um, and Turn then people in the news turn people into newts and they get better um or maybe not um like all kinds of things happen but there's really no explanation of the nuts and bolts or how or what or why vlad doesn't uh, think that it is a career path that he could pursue right like so how are you experiencing the magic system um i enjoy that in the ways that it impacts the story it's either deus ex like where the dragons step in and they perform some sort of ritual or whatever it is that they do. But it's that's not Vlad's story. Vlad's story this time around was one of intrigue, romance, and uh, mob boss. Yeah. And, and in none of those was the magic really influential. Right. Or um, at least not like the previous transactional way that we have discussed. Right. I mean, so Chesky, how 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 are you taking the magic system as more of? It feels like it's almost like background scenery as opposed to being like a central part of the story the way it is in some some books, you know, mm -hmm. nowadays. So how are you taking the magic system? Um, I take it fine. It's uh, like you said, it's not really a big part of the story, and he doesn't. You know, I like that he doesn't end up using the magic generally to solve his problems. It's kind of just a thing that's separate from him. You know, I guess he's doing the uh, the teleport blocks and things, but it flows well. It feels nice. Um, it's not egregious. Like, I'm not like, oh, this is 
can do anything because they don't use it to do anything. They use it to do very specific things at specific times. Now, did I wish maybe he could have used his witchcraft a little more instead of just like testing one witchcraft thing and being like, oh, he's blocked. It's fine. I'll just never <laughs> use my witchcraft again in this entire book. Yeah, maybe that would have been a little nice to like see a little bit more of it. But it's not like you said, the magic system is just a supplement to the story. It's not any part of a focus of the story. It's just like, he's got to have magic. Here's some magic. You can tell the time. You can call on your link to the, the orb. You know, if you talk to the empress directly, she'll burn you. If you, she'll destroy your body if it's not important enough. Like good, good times all around for everybody. So I kind of look at this book as kind of having two parts to it. There's like that first part kind of leading into the multiple assassination attempts and, and the the flaw in the story that Kip really, really, really wants to talk about. So <laughs> right, right before we get to it, like the first part of the book, I mean, I, I said it tongue in cheek, but kind of. Seriously, it really did feel like I was like watching, like I was reading like a, a Sopranos like TV plot. I, I don't know what, what what your thoughts were because it really was. I'm going to go to this, you know, go to this street. I'm going to take over like this gambling house. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get this much money from it. And that really seemed to be like the first like third of the book or up to half of the book. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I really liked the tolling of losses and the the almost uh it's not deadpan but the almost emotionless way that Vlad writes out the arson and the deaths and the assaults and attacks that happen in various ways during that period mm -hmm. uh it it reads almost like a uh like a captain's log or something uh it's it's a very different style of writing, and I thought it was done to pretty good effect. Yeah, it made it really made me feel like this is this is the sequence of events that's happening, and I'm not being over bombarded with details when we need to get through a bunch of these quickly. Yeah, Chesky, I think I feel the same way. Kip, as it was a lot of fun to kind of read about how he goes about taking over his business and how he. He works for a guy, and then he works for another guy. And then he's like, you know what? This guy's bad. And that guy just accidentally happened to fall into a knife with his eye. And so I took over. <laughs> and I went to all my employees, and I was like, hey, uh, the boss wants you to do this. And they're like, uh, what? That's crazy. He's like, well, I'm the boss. And like, great. I'm on it, boss. I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> let, me get the, let me get right on this for you. I love those scenes. That was a lot of fun. You know, just him working through it and being like, okay, we're making this much money. We're losing this much money. You know, just uh, it was nice to kind of see the other side in a a fun and a real but not like gritty gritty way where it's like oh we have to you know do horrible things all the time it's like no we want our customers to make money and to pay us back and like we'll work with people eventually like our first instinct is not to go break his legs yeah i mean um i i agree with you guys but i think the other the other thing i took that really <laughs> struck me on this, this read is you really kind of get a sense vlad isn't a good guy and he doesn't no. really try to he's he, he he doesn't try to pretend that he really is. I mean, and I think that's something we can talk about a little bit more uh, here when we get to the next point. But, um, but he, yeah, I think he's I think not racist. Kind of, yeah, he's not racist, right? He's just, or actually, you know what? Maybe he's he not is. Self, he's not self-loathing. He's not self-loathing, but I mean, but maybe he is racist, yes. right? You know yeah, what I mean? No, he's, you know, he's he's definitely a species. Yeah, he. I mean, he makes no bones about it. He hates the elves. He hates them, and he couldn't give a crap whether they live or die. So, yeah. I mean, that was made. He pretty much said it. I don't know. How, how'd you guys take that? 
they seem to feel openly that way about humans. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a an interesting thing when he was like just talking about that with Kati, and he's like, I hate all of them, and I'm like, you are really, really good at hiding it. Like I knew you didn't like them or most of them. And he's like, there's a couple that I'm okay with, but I still don't really care if they live or die. And it's just like, oh, you seem like you do care a little bit in the first book about, you know, <laughs> Morola and, and Era and stuff, but I'll let it slide. Well, remember that, that Yindi was written in the past. Yeah, yeah. Right. no, that's what I'm saying. I was like, yeah, like, so. He, he's, I, still, he's still an he angsty changes. teen. He's still angsty teen. <laughs> and I was about to say, and I think it's different. I mean, like, if you look at it, like, if you think about it in real life, people can say, well, I don't like X generally, you know, whatever, like, you know, religion, culture, race, whatever, generally. Oh, yeah. Oh, but I like my friend Tony. I like my friend. You know, I like my friend, you know, Allison. I like my friend, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're all that, too. Oh, they're different. Right. I mean, that's it's yep. just the human condition. Right. Yeah. So um, we, we, anyways, we feel first, then we justify after that. That's right. You know, and um. Speaking as uh, an angsty teen from a minority culture, um, I empathize a little bit with, with with that sentiment of, you know what, nobody likes us. Like, I'm kind of okay not liking people back anyways without really understanding or being able to justify why, right? And it just took age and growing up and seeing the wider world to kind of learn better. So, mm-hmm. anyways... I thought that was, and I thought Cotty's viewpoint was completely different and quite interesting. Maybe we can get to that in a minute. So since we're talking about Cotty, clearly, clearly the better person. So it Kip's automatic one point deduction uh, uh, kicks in. Um, so so Vlad and Cotty have this long drawn out romance of about thirteen seconds, and yeah. then they fall instantly <laughs> in love. So um, Kip, the floor's yours. You know what? I, I I just had to assume that they fell in love with each other while doing their background research. So Vlad doesn't do any background research on his own that we see. <laughs> He's like maybe heard of her reputation, <laughs> but never heard of her as a person. And nope, immediately upon looking at her, instantly in love and has to remind himself repeatedly every time that he sees her thereafter oh i didn't do bad for myself did i i'm like dude you just met (laughs) she hasn't even agreed to anything yet like calm down (laughs) this this is one of the most blatant cases of insta love that i just had to let it go and be like well this is happening (laughs) yeah and for for what because that like mob boss litany of things that happen ends about halfway through the book and gets completely supplanted by this new Cotty plot and the intrigue. It I have to think that this book is at least a third about their relationship and romance, but it it's it, it's not there. It's just this this is how this happened and now we're in love and now we're getting married. And there were a cute little scene with the old guy at the end grandfather his grandfather? Is that who that yeah. was? Yeah. No Yeah. Yep. That that was a cute little scene, but it wow, it just came out of nowhere. I actually had to go back like twice to make sure I didn't like accidentally like miss a couple pages and be like, <laughs> did I miss something important happened where he's like she says something and he's like, Oh, that's why I like you so much. And no, it was just yeah. wow, I like you, let's start making out like in your hospital bed, basically. <laughs> I, I like you here. Let let's go through why I'm not having a panic attack right now. 
because I'm letting you get so close to me, even though I am an assassin who never lets anyone get near him without weapons. So and you, you, and you, you, and you literally just tried to assassinate me. Well, no, she literally successfully assassinated him. Yep. Well, she tried and she succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think they're in love? Apparently. Sure, how it seems I'm gonna, written. I'm gonna have to believe in soulmates for this to make sense. Ah, uh, so okay, let me give you a counter. Proposal. I'm gonna have to believe that they're both let, reincarnated people who are emperor and empress from a bygone era. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> let me give you a counter proposal that may or may not make sense. Okay. Um, he's a mob boss, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's what he is, right? And and in any mob boss movie, what happens? You you find the cute girl, something traumatic happens, you fall in lust, right? And then you show her a good time, whatever, you sweep them off the feet before the day-to-day realities of living with that person really sets in and you then have to live with the consequences of it, right? So Generally not from the hospital bed of the assassin that tried and succeeded in killing you. Who are we to say how your homeowners react when you're raised from the dead like i don't know <laughs> having never Maybe been raised from the dead, i can't comment I, is that the basis I mean, I, for a lasting relationship i got nothing maybe he has to do that like once every couple months to kind of have the feeling i don't know so <laughs> um and by the way i don't think it was ever directly mentioned in this story but just so you know yendi is a flying reptile not like a uh not like a jerk, but like a snake with wings. A poisonous snake with wings. Okay. So I, 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 I did assume convoluted. a snake from the cover. Yeah, but just it's a flying snake with wings okay. and that and a flying if, serpent. If had, yes. And if you hadn't figured out from the plot from the story, oh needlessly complicated plots are like their their reason for living. So Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm gonna answer the Vlad Kati Instalove question. Did it bother me? Not so much. Was it really out of nowhere? Yes. Did I did this make me feel lied to about this book being their story? Yes. yes. 100%. If I've been told, hey, just read the next book. It's a it's a prequel kind of, you know, that issues with this at all. Being told, oh yeah, this is like their book. I was like, I was expecting like, oh, they're going to get to know each other by, like, he tries to murder her, he can't, you know, she tries to murder him, back and forth kind of a thing, like, uh, in the, and of course, that did not happen. And so it was, uh, but it was good, yeah. I mean, I think they'll, I think they'll, uh, I do think they love each other, but I think that's just because that's how uh, Stephen Brust wrote it. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I read this book um, while I was out with friends, and or at least portions of it, about like the first third. And they were like, hey, what's it about? And I was like, oh, it seems to be a story about how this assassin mob boss met his wife. And I was like, it's interesting, because it's going to be like romantic. (laughs) Romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Well, to be fair, it is like a romance novel and not like a love story. I mean, romance novels are heavy on the insta-love and and not so much on the development. So, Uh, Some. Depends on the (laughs) romance you're reading, yes. (laughs) If it's it's a dude wears my shirt novel from the supermarket for $2.99, then yes, more more on the insta-love. I I can't really defend it, but yeah, that that was, you know, the, the best I have is that, like, you know, 
maybe they're not really in love and, and, and the love develops or, or not, you know? Um, I've read my Anne McCaffrey. I'm not entirely in, unused to it. <laughs> I'm just glad that uh, Stephen Brush puts like one big flaw in each of his books so far that's really easy to focus on. <laughs> forget about all the other bad stuff that could be in the book, you know? So like he's got like a lightning rod of problems and he just like stabs at <laughs> the book and then he's like, all the problems get to that. Go to that and you can the rest of the book's more enjoyable because of it yeah I, how I, bad it could be <laughs> i i barely even get time to talk about how he uses exposition of like background research on himself to get his uh history out of the way <laughs> yeah so by the way what uh were you surprised or not surprised that uh Cotty was just a much better assassin than than taltos was i wasn't particularly surprised because taltos does not in his own head, seem particularly competent. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I was too surprised. I think he's more of a, a long-term planning assassin, and she's more of a, hey, the job's done, let's go get it done right away, you know? Yeah. She definitely seemed to have uh, better martial abilities, from what we could see. He's got more tricks. I, yeah. I, I think that's a very, very fair summation. That's a very fair summation. So, okay, setting aside, now let's... let's uh, uh, do you feel better, Kip? I feel better. Yes. Do you feel I, better? I feel lied to, but I I feel better. No, I look, do feel I better. Was, it's always good to rant. I, I never said. I never said this was their love story. I, I never said, said you lied met. to me. <laughs> I said this was how they met. That's all uh -huh. I said. So. Uh -huh. That implies a lot in this book when they're married in the first one. But uh, like I, like you said, I'm, I'm willing to, to move past this now. We got to take some deep breaths, you know, and and move forward. <laughs> Do we need to cleanse ourselves? Okay, are we good now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, so we were introduced to some new characters, and we had development of some of uh, some of our recurring characters. I know you. I believe one of you said one of you was like, I really want to know more about Morlin, and another one's like, Hey. Tell me more about Sethra. Like, yeah. What, so, so we got a little bit more flavor of these other characters. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have one, either one that you guys want to focus on or talk about, or uh, any thoughts in general about any of these, these characters? I like Sethra the in this book. I really like Sethra in this book. And often what she wasn't saying in response to something was more important than what she did say in response. Uh, and how, how she kind of like looked at Aliera a couple times and was like, you're being silly, but wasn't wasn't rude enough to say it. Mm -hmm. Were you uh, I thought it was interesting that, that, that they dropped a bomb of that. That Sethra is significantly older by a matter of what, like an exponent older than everybody else in the room. Yeah, yeah. It, at least 10 times older. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was pretty cool. So what about you, Chesky? Did you have a character that that because I knew you were you were the Moreland guy, right? So I think so. I like seeing more. I didn't I didn't I didn't feel like we got too much more really on him. Like we get a little bit more on like learning who he would pick as Empire and like his thoughts on, you know, oh, let's just go to war with the uh, Easterners. That's fine. Like we'll go to war. They'll push us back eventually. We'll go to war. They'll push us back. Like, yeah, but, he didn't care. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I just liked all of them. You know, there wasn't anyone I was like, oh, this was so good. I liked all of his uh, his mob boss guys. Again, you know, Krager just being like, hey, I'm here already in the chair. You just didn't see me you know, again. And it's just like, OK, come on. <laughs> you got to notice your guy eventually, man. But uh, no, it was all good. I thought 
That that, that was Krieg, that's Krieger's superpower not, to not be seen, which would right. suck if you were a dragon, right? So, um, yeah. no, I I would say so. For me, there was a couple a uh, couple things that stood up to me this time. So one on Morlin, like we were told he's dangerous, he's dangerous, he's dangerous in the first book, but we never really saw anything. And in this book, you kind of saw a little bit of what makes Morlin so dangerous, like because apparently there was a they were going to go up against a, a a group of magic user fighters, and then there was this one super deadly, you know, sorceress. And so he took on, I'll take on the big gang of fighter magic users, and he was just taking them out left and right and had like a... Yeah. Yeah, that was a good scene, yeah. So it was just kind of like a demonstration of, okay, so it's more than just talk. He really is as dangerous as people say he is. So I thought that was interesting. Um, was. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting that at least at this point in the story... That that Vlad and Morlin have enough of a relationship that Morlin will just drop him twenty thousand gold without a second thought. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. I like that. Um, I like the I like the introduction of Kira the Thief, another mm-hmm. good friend to have. Yeah, and um, and the last book we kind of, they they kind of talked about it, but this book I get we I, we really saw at least to me I really saw Vlad's absolute cold-bloodedness his absolute ruthlessness i oh, mean yeah. he, he kills one of his of one of his enforcers right in front of Krager. he mm-hmm. you know for what <laughs> exactly like if you look at it it's like well for potentially intimidating me right that that's that's how he framed it yeah. i mean to me it was just he was on edge and he just had enough yeah he snapped. yeah he snapped so, yeah, he snapped you know um which if you look i mean yeah, I hate to like you know project forward, but I mean, hell, how many seasons of The Sopranos do you have to see before you know you realize these guys act on impulse and not necessarily on long term planning all the time? I so, never watched The Sopranos. You really should. Well, actually, no, you wouldn't like it. Never mind. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the the teleport blockers are actually doing a lot behind the scenes to keep me interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I will give you. I will, I will tell you something about book three that will that will interest you for sure okay and uh, remember um, no misleading statements here no no misleading <laughs> statements for real okay um it has a one word title yes no no, no hold on we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it okay so do you have a favorite scene or moment either one of you from the from the book um that's a, that's a tough one i really like all the scenes where he's kind of putting things together i wish the only thing i, I dislike about the like i like those scenes because he's like okay i've got it but like i just need like five more minutes and everybody's like well you're on a time frame, like figure it out now or we're all moving forward. But I, I like following those scenes. The only thing I wish is I was like, wish we had just like a teeny bit more somehow to the reader so we could mostly figure it out with him. Like we can kind of figure it out. And maybe if you're smarter than I am, you can, you know, you've got all the pieces. But I need like one more hint or like two more hints to just be like, I get it. Right. You know what I mean? Like to kind of figure it out at the same time he's figuring it out because he'll see something and then he'll be like, Oh my gosh, this puts it all in place. And I'm like, but you, what did you see? What did you see that like <laughs> will help you bring it together? Like, tell me so I can bring it together at the same time. Like, so I like those scenes a lot. Cause they're really, they're fun where he's just like putting all the pieces. And he's like, okay, this and that and this, and okay. And this is there, but I just wish I had like one more like hint to push me over the edge. While you're saying that, just one thing I want you to focus on, and we're going to talk about Easter eggs in a moment. There are Easter eggs that are, he's laying out that I – so in the past, I used to think that some of the stories he wrote were retconned. But as you go through – and as I go through on this reread, I'm like, no, he, he laid this path out a long, long time ago. 
And so there are Easter eggs that if you're paying attention, really, really paying attention, he's giving you clues as to certain storylines that kind of emerge as, as, as the books go on. So, and, the, and they're there, they're there to be seen. So he even has a, a couple of those. Oh. Yeah. I was going to say, he even has a, a future, a future Easter egg pop up that he didn't even know he was writing. That's right. <laughs> Kip, do you have a favorite character moment? Um, scene, whatever. I think my favorite character moment was when Temek died. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. His like first little, the first like major named subordinate of Vlad's that dies in this story. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a that was a fun inflection point for the novel because after that Vlad did not hold back. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that, that's that's where the uh, the gang war really started escalating. It's good. I like that. For me, there's a whole bunch of one-liners, but the one one-liner that always stuck with me is, no matter how slow the wizard, a knife between the shoulder blades really cramps the style. <laughs> so that was the first time I ever read anything like that before. And this was like right when tabletop gaming was a big thing. And I'm like, I'm going to be a thief. A hundred percent, you know? So... Um, <laughs> That's just my personal thing. So we've been talking about Easter eggs. So what Easter eggs did you guys see or want to talk about? I got one here. The uh... I thought back to my first visit to Zur Mountain and shuddered. <laughs> okay, so that's book four. Just so you know, that's book four. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. That's book all four. all, all yeah. the, uh, the, the mentions of a trip to Deathgate Falls. Mm. That's book four. That's book four? Okay. Yep. That's book four. Uh, the dagger called Ice Flame, which was sort of Zer Mountain in hand or something. I don't know enough about it to say more. So that's not yeah. one particular book, but I'll stop right here. So in book one, they talked about he talked about great weapons, right? Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. So Ice Flame yep. is a great weapon, and so look for all the. If you read throughout the stories, you'll get a whole history of what the great weapons are and what they signify. And there is one book I don't want to mention the book where you get kind of like the wrap-up explaining what, what, what they're meant to be, okay? But <laughs> that does get explained. And something about the stiffening of a dragon's neck tentacles being a sign of danger. I'm assuming that's going to come up again. It does. There's a book called Dragon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the three that I had immediately marked. Chesky? My Easter eggs were a little different than uh, Kipton's Easter eggs. Mine was, I'm pretty sure I caught a Monty Python reference. So, Oh, yes. He did get better, right? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, how you into a new rocket better. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yep, yep, yep. And then yep. the one he didn't even know he was writing, at the very beginning of the book, he, uh, he talks about how people are like onions. He's totally referencing Shrek before Shrek was even a thing. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm sure the next time I read it, I'll find more. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So there, there's plenty of Easter eggs there too, uh, and and Kip caught some good ones. And you're right about the the Monty Python reference. Um, so I'll, I told you I would give you a, a little taste of book three. Book three starts forward in time again. It's after Jerick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is about so the third book is called Tekla. And as you can tell, each book is representative kind of of the, the house. Well, Tekla yeah. is the house of the house of the commoner. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And we have Kadi's point of view given to us in Yendi, and we have Vlad's point of view coming out in Yendi. Those two point of views come to a head and their relationship in book three. 
And it's not an insta-love or an insta-decision thing. It's the main part of the story. Does she decide that she wants to take that uh, assassination contract again? You'll have to read book three. <laughs> <laughs> maybe their love makes it, maybe it doesn't. So. <laughs> Maybe the way has to be cleared for the reborn empress. Who knows? <laughs> Are you willing to give book three a shot? Sure. I'm sure. always willing to give book three a shot. Yeah, no, book two was interesting <laughs> until it turned out to be a lie. <laughs> I, 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 I am so, so, far, so I, I figure Chesky's okay. He's going to like book three just fine. Book four, he's going to love. I need I need to get you to book three. If I can get you to book three, you're fine. So, <laughs> so just yeah. get to book three, okay? Okay, okay. Is this yeah. that fabled, right. you know, it gets better after so long argument no, here? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I will. I, I pro. I, I'll make a promise to you right now, Kit. If guys, you guys, I promise. Recluse gets better at book twenty-two. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh God. You know. I never thought I would say an author overuses onomatopoeia, <laughs> and then I met Ellie Modisit, So Yep. It's just whole paragraphs. Paragraphs of onomatopoeia. It's great. I, I will make you a promise here on the podcast, Kip. If after book three you're like, Era, I'm done, I'll respect it and we'll be done. Okay? Okay. okay. Fair? Fair. Okay. <laughs> Chesky's shaking and his Chesky, head. Chesky, me no, and no. you, we can go on. We can soldier on. Traitor, it's fine. No, <laughs> no I, I think I think Kip will be in after book three. So, oh good. All right, guys. Any final thoughts? Any wrap ups? Anything you like to say about the book or life that, generally? That final denouement, like parlor scene, could have been twenty percent shorter. Well, okay, so so are you talking about oh, the with the sorcerer's green or Noah's Yeah, uh, sorcerer's, sorcerer's green. green. Yeah. yeah, the whole explanation of how <laughs> everyone's politics aligned and was causing the uh, the whole Yendi plot to occur. Repeated, <laughs> repeated things, just like one too many times for each thing, just for my taste. Yeah. That's interesting. I actually didn't mind it at all. I can see why. Like, I think yeah. it was worthwhile to kind of find out. Every- I don't know how many times we had to say that Marolin didn't care about a war. It, it just kept getting said over and over and over again uh, when we worked through the chain of consequences. Maybe that part could have been shortened, but as soon as you know, we learned that the Yendi are like super overly complicated, like their plots have to be plots within plots within plots. Then it was like, okay. If it had been Tim Curry narrating it in like a sing-songy way in the style of Clue, it, it needed a rhythm is what it needed. Needed a rhythm, yeah. Yeah, sure. Marolin Mer- in the foyer with the <laughs> some Rogers and Hammerstein. <laughs> I mean, I-, I feel like the author was maybe making the point a little bit too much, but also didn't feel like he was overdoing it with by going, look, all these guys, like they all have, they all have these alleged high fancy goals or ideals. They're all kind of pricks. Like none of them mm. are like exceptionally nice people. And that was kind of that. That's what I took that ending part to be. Everyone's kind of a jerk at the end of the day. Like they all have their own justifications, but none of them are nice people. Yeah, I, they're they're playing games of society and don't care about the genocide that they're contemplating, or right. they think it's fun. That's right, and and then and it's interesting because then at the end, then you get Cotty kind of going like she's going like this is morally and fundamentally wrong, right? Yeah. And she has this this mm-hmm. eloquent explanation, and Vlad's like, 
they're assholes. They all deserve to die. F them. So I'm, I'm pretty sure like Sethra only likes me because she's humoring Marolin or something. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. It's almost like here's an educated version versus an uneducated version of, of, of how you should feel about it. That's kind of how I feel about it sometimes when I read, when I read that. That's my knee-jerk reaction. So Yeah. Yeah. No, Vlad's friends with dragons, and they are not friends of equal value back. That's that's true. They, and, yeah. And Noish Pa, I'm sorry that you didn't like that, but for what it's worth, Noish Pa is all over book three. So I, I like gonna, him. I just, you're gonna learn all about him next book. Didn't think he was particularly there. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. he's gonna be there. He's gonna be there next book quite a bit. So. You may be sick of him by the end of it, so. <laughs> or you may love him, so I don't know. All we'll right. See. Um, we'll see. All right, guys. For what it's worth, I like this book. I thought it was fun. I always think it's this, – this, to me, was a more urban fantasy book than I remembered it being, and it, it felt like a prelude of what was to come for urban fantasy books as they developed in the future. So Look, mm. It was so much better than Jade City. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. much better than Jade City. Well, I mean that—that's damning with faint praise, man. Like, thanks, kids. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> can, can, can like, you do me a little bit better than that. People go, uh, say Jade City. It's like, oh, this is like a mob boss, and you. I don't, no, this this felt more like a mob boss. This was a tale of back alley stabbings and arson and complicated plots and intrigue. Look, I mean, Craig solves all problems, but hey, put it this way: absent the insta love, how would you feel about the book? See, because I, I would, I would also want to remove the main plot of the book from consideration and just focus on the writing because I love the writing. Yeah, the writing's good, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, to me, that, that that's why that's why I like all of, all of Bruce's books is that I think he's just. He's one of the best writers I've just – he's just – he has a way with words and just kind of throwing – just throwing the, these one-liners out there and just leaving them hanging and just moving on. He never dwells on – he doesn't dwell on stuff too much except for those one or two points where he kind of overdoes it. But otherwise, it's just he makes his little story and moves on. I don't know if you guys get that impression. I get the impression that he very carefully crafts the flow of his paragraphs. Sometimes doesn't care. Mm-hmm about being long-winded and expositional that's kind of the point and one of the things that he enjoys uh and i'm just gonna have to get used to that (laughs) so well we'll talk offline but he has another he has another set of stories that does the exact opposite so that that's that to me is what makes Stephen bristow fascinating is that he can he can just change his writing style just to suit whatever he wants to write so yeah and and i'm and i'm saying long-winded and in his descriptions, but I only mean that in reference to himself because I find him <laughs> remarkably pithy in general. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone gives Yendi a try <laughs> and guys, thanks for uh, trying this book out. Any final thoughts? It was fun. Really enjoyed it. I'm glad we're reading them. I want to know how tightly all of these books are tied together in time, but I'll figure that out at some point eventually. You will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you I, for I, 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 I really want to know if it's, we're going to go like a thousand years. Um, I'll let you know as of now, as of the date of the last book, we have not gone a thousand years. It's okay. all within it's all within Vlad Taltos's lifetime. Now the books ping back and forth in time, but as you 
as the books, as you get more and more books, you can actually pick Jarek as the initial point of reference, and you can slot in every book in time and create a chronological order. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. So, and uh, and up until up until relatively recently, up until like the last couple books, Yendi had been the first book in time. Oh, okay. Okay. So no, I say that and I'm wrong. Book four is the first book. Book four is the first book. In, uh, it's the first one in time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Book four. Okay. So. It's all good. Okay, guys. Okay. Um, thank you for joining the Legendarium Green Team podcast, a spin-off of the Legendarium podcast. We would like to thank Craig at the Legendarium, Horizon Brave for getting started, and I'll see if I can get this right this time. Galactic damages for the music, Jingle Punks. Other way around. All right. <laughs> That's my thing. All right. Hi, we'll guys. fix it in post. <laughs> it's fine. We got it. <laughs> Good no, night. We, 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 have, we have to leave that the way it is.